Hello everyone and welcome back to the Art of Prevention podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nick. I'm a sports chiropractor located in Summit County, Colorado. And today, we'll be talking about a very important topic. We're just getting through with spooky season, i.e. October. And the question that I would like to entertain today is, should we fear injuries? So should fear be a motivator for us, i.e. a motivator for us to sleep well, a motivator for us to eat correctly, a motivator for us to do our rehabilitation, our strength exercises. And at first glance, it may seem like this podcast is designed to instill fear. The art of prevention, we want to prevent, we want to focus on the negatives, we want to focus on fear. But in actuality, our goal is to to do the opposite. Our goal is actually to give individuals the knowledge necessary to empower them. And this empowerment truly comes through knowledge and actually the appropriate interpretation of that knowledge as well. So I recently interviewed Dr. Alec Draglin. Uh, he's about to open up his own chiropractic office. He's a rehab chiropractor in Nashville, Tennessee. And one of the things that we discussed during our interview was weak points in athletes. So whether that be weak points in strength, weak points in mobility, weak points in range of motion, etc. And we have to use these weak points, not to frighten the athletes, but we have to designate a relative risk associated with weak points and also develop a plan of action in order to appropriately address certain weak points in an athlete. So yesterday I had an athlete in the office, they're a skier, and two years ago they had torn their ACL on their left leg. And they did really, really good rehab. They had really good surgical outcomes. And they've been skiing, but the snow is falling here in Summit County. So we decided, well, let's test out some of the new equipment and new technology that we have in the office. And let's do a light ACL screen and take some strength measures and look at some of your functional measures as well. And she's no slouch. I mean, over the summer, she was mountain biking, going to the gym, doing weight training once a week, and also hiking all the time. However, we do know that recent reviews indicate that the re-tear rates in individuals that tear their ACL are quite high, and especially high in individuals that return to sport. So in individuals that return to sport, the re-tear rate, especially for females, is around 20%. Less so if those individuals don't return to sport. And the tear rate for the opposite side is also quite high, much higher than it is for, uh, let's say, an individual that has not torn their ACL. So we take these measures really not expecting to see anything. However, she had about a 20% asymmetry in maximum isometric quadriceps strength on her affected or torn ACL and repaired ACL side versus her non-affected side. She also had a deficit in her strength to weight ratio in hip external rotation, which in soccer players, if you don't hit an appropriate strength to weight ratio, it's shown to have, those individuals are shown to have a higher risk of ACL rupture or ACL tear. 
And really the big thing was that it was asymmetrical. So she hit that mark appropriately on her unaffected side, but with her affected side, she was below the marker that we would say that you have a low risk. So she was designated high risk in terms of asymmetry in her quadriceps strength, as well as her external rotation strength. And really this was a surprise to both of us because two years ago, she went through PT really well and all of the PTs up here are really, really good at returning people to sport after ACL tears. And she has stayed physically active since then. However, during that time period, during that recovery process, she did have difficulty just like almost everyone else does, it seems. She did have difficulty with activation of that quad after the surgery. So it maybe shouldn't come as a surprise that, you know, if we don't do the right things, then we can develop or redevelop that asymmetry in quad strength side to side. And what did we do with this information is the most important factor. Did I use this to instill fear in this individual and tell her to avoid skiing and don't go to skiing and you need to come see me three times a week for the rest of your life? No, no, that's not what I did at all. No. We discussed some of the relative risks associated with these asymmetries. And then we talked about what we should do and we developed a plan of attack in order to address these asymmetries. And we talked about, okay, so what things are we doing in the gym? We talked about the pros and cons of things like cycling and mountain biking, how we can compensate with other legs or with our you know, non-ACL torn leg in order to get us up the mountain or along the trail. Whereas in other activities like skiing, whenever you're doing a right hand turn, you're gonna be using that inside edge on the downhill ski, which would be on the left side. And through a couple of further questions, we found that when she was hiking and especially downhill hiking steep gradients, she would always be sore on her unaffected side, which can lead us to believe, well, you've got more strength on that side. Why would that side be more sore? Oh, maybe we're compensating and utilizing that leg almost like a crutch to baby and favor the previously affected ACL torn side. So we actually dove into some of the things that she was doing in the gym. She was doing a lot of really good stuff like squats and deadlifts and RDLs and things like that. But one thing that we really dove into were the appropriate set and rep schemes for working on that top end strength, that maximum voluntary isometric contraction, or really just maximum quadricep strength. So we talked about actually going and using machines to work on leg extension, hamstring strength, and isolating those muscles so that we can work on just top end strength and motor unit activation in that quad and making sure that we're doing that single leg versus double leg. So many things like squats and deadlifts, those are double legs. So she can sh still shift and favor the affected side and compensate with her unaffected leg. So we're actually going to have her cut down on some of her repetitions per set. And this doesn't have to be complicated. You know, if you listen to really uh, good exercise physiologists like Andy Galpin, he recently did a full series on exercise physiology and set and rep schemes and things like that for maximum strength, hypertrophy, etc. 
and we kept it simple. We just said three to five repetitions for three to five sets and do that two to three times a week in the gym. And we're going to specifically target the quadriceps and some of those external rotators. And we're gonna do this with single leg activities like the knee extension machine, the hamstring or the knee flexion machine, and then also like a rear foot elevated uh, single leg squat in order to isolate that leg and isolate so that it can strengthen on its own and not compensate with her non-affected side. And when we got finished with our session, it was a decently long session, did she feel fear at the end? Did we instill the fear of God in her? And, and did she leave going, oh my gosh, I, maybe I shouldn't ski this season, maybe I should return my pass and things like that. No, quite the opposite. She actually felt motivated. This is what she told me. She felt like she had a plan of attack to attack these asymmetries and be empowered by this knowledge that she had kind of dipped down in strength on her affected side again. And this is actually something that should provide her with more freedom to do what she wants as opposed to being fearful of the unknown or maybe even worse, lulled into a false sense of security from that past return to sport test from two years ago. So she was doing a lot of really good things in the gym, but the devil's a lot of times in the details. So we dialed into some of those details in order to improve our outcomes so that we can hopefully decrease the relative risks associated with her injury history in order to get back to free, skiing freely and how she would like to. Now, we've known for about a decade with research on how we talk to and how we interpret information from imaging findings that poor education and negative and fear-provoking education can actually lead to worsening of things like disability, pain, dysfunction, and poor outcomes in many individuals, as well as increasing in medical costs. One of the proposed mechanisms is through instilling these behaviors called fear avoidance behaviors in these individuals. And an example of a fear avoidance behavior would be, oh, my doctor told me that I have joint space narrowing or I'm bone on bone in my knee. So what I do now is I don't really work out that knee. I don't do any loading or impact activities. I just rest it and I try to savor the cartilage that I have left because I'm bone on bone. Now, what this does is it makes that individual avoid utilizing the musculature around that knee. And over time, that musculature will weaken. And one thing that has been correlated with the worsening or uh, worse outcomes and more disability and things like knee osteoarthritis is actually deficits in quadricep strength. So weak quads, weak musculature around a joint are associated with worsening of things like arthritic changes and that quote unquote wear and tear. And if we don't stimulate the tissues and if we don't stimulate joints appropriately, then we no longer stimulate the production of these things called proteoglycans and all of these lubricators of a joint that help those hinge joints hinge better without those creaks and cracks and things like that that often will occur with disuse. 
So if we're moving joints, if we're loading joints appropriately, then we will actually stimulate the production of lubricating fluids like proteoglycans, like hyaluronic acid, like those things that many people take exogenously, like glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate. So these fear avoidance behaviors and instilling fear can actually worsen individuals' outcomes significantly. And to cap off this podcast, you know, relatively short one today, in the words that we're going to take a historical perspective here, because uh, I'm kind of a nerd for some history things. Uh, in 1933, in his inaugural presidential address, Franklin D. Roosevelt had his famous speech about fear, in which he stated that the only thing to fear is fear itself. And this is the same ethos that we inspire to create amongst professional athletes, youth athletes, and weekend warriors alike. FDR gave this speech at the height of the Great Depression when there was a lot of unknowns in his presidency that he was about to undertake. And he actually characterized this fear as nameless, unreasoning, and unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. But FDR insisted that instead of retreating, we advance into the unknown and we advance on into new ways of thinking about problems that the American people were facing at that time. And in the same way, we hope to instill knowledge of principles and information that gives athletes, coaches, and providers tools to boldly pursue excellence with less fear of the unknown. And truly, this is the essence of what we are trying to accomplish at Art of Prevention. Our aim is not to be fear mongers trying to drive you away from doing hard things or returning to sport or the activities that you love. Our aim is to free you to have your best performances without fear of injury. Thank you for listening today.